Thanks, Kate. So I apologize for the croak. <clears throat> it should improve probably after talking for a bit because I've tried to be silent all morning to say this. So we're going to do a very brief Bible quiz to get started. I want to ask you a question. Test your Bible knowledge. Who is Fatina or Fatini? Anyone heard of her? She's a quite well-known Bible character. Oh, awkward. Well, St. Fatina is revered in the Catholic and Orthodox Church. Her name means luminous one, and she's deemed to be equal to the apostles in her work, and is called the mother of evangelists. But it's unlikely you know the name Fatina, because in our church tradition, she doesn't have a name. She's sometimes called the prostitute or adulteress, but more often just the woman or the Samaritan woman at the well. I think that's probably marginally better name than being called the woman caught in adultery. Do you know the story? So it starts in John 4, and it's actually the longest dialogue Jesus has with a woman in the Gospels. So as we're looking at women and justice, I thought it would be appropriate for us to spend some time um, just doing a bit of a deep dive into the dialogue and the connection that Jesus has with the woman at the well. So um, it's rather complex exchange, actually, and um, I feel like until studying it for this talk, I didn't quite grasp all of it. Um, it's basically Jesus and a woman at Jacob's well, which still stands today, and they're talking about living water, and he reveals himself as the Messiah to her. Now, when I remember this story, both reading it and hearing about it in Sunday school, um, and particularly at school, I remember it being about the water of life. And this point, I was going to sing to you, but that's not a good idea. <clears throat> but I hope that some of you remember the song, Nobody can live who hasn't any water. When the land is dry, then nothing much grows. Jesus gives us life if we drink the living water. Sing it so that everybody knows. There's water. Does everyone know that? Yeah. No. Oh, my goodness. Right, so... Um, if you know me, I really love like my school hymn book that we had called Come and Praise. And there's loads of brilliant ones, particularly Autumn Days is like an absolute hit. And I feel like we should bring that back in worship. But that's another side. So um, we learned about Jesus gives us the water of life. And that was basically it um, as my understanding of this passage. And so I think the context of Jesus speaking to a woman on his own was a bit lost on me. And when I did think about it in general, the main points that stuck out to me was she was an adulteress, she was an outcast, and Jesus exposed her sin. And then there's a bit of complex stuff about water and not going thirsty, and some stuff about worshipping on a mountain that got a bit lost. But it's also how that's portrayed in our culture today. So as well as the wonderful song that you should all learn, um, there's a gospel song that is still sung today. It was written back in 1947, and it's called Je Jesus Met the Woman at the Well. And the refrain in it is focusing on the question of Jesus saying, where is your husband? And that's the focus of the song about this passage. One commentary I read on this passage described Fatina as the town homewrecker. So I think my attitude and that of others speaks about our unconscious bias that Rachel was talking about and some of our attitudes to women that Carol was talking about and things that we've just been hearing over these series. So I hope that um, 
when we revisit this story, we'll learn some things um, and, and just understand maybe Jesus' approach to women a bit more. But before we revisit the story, do you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yes, Sarah's a big fan. I loved these. <clears throat> Our library had loads of them, and I used to like get them out and just be totally absorbed by them. And hands up, who does not know, has no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's, there's a, we'll get a picture. Oh, it's back. There they are. So if you, they're not really so popular anymore, but basically you would read a chapter and at the end you'd have a choice of two options and it'd go, go to page 62 and then you'd go on to page 62 and you'd read a new chapter and basically you could find your adventure based on the choices um, that you made. The modern day version um, is Bear Grylls, You Versus the Wild, which is on Netflix, which I highly recommend. It is a child's program, but I love it. Um, and basically, you, Bear Grylls goes on all these kind of adventures and you get to decide by some very clever technology that you click a button and um, you can decide whether you eat this thing or not or whether you go down this passage or not. And then the story changes based on it. So I now know that you can eat gorse in the wild to survive, but maybe avoid an eagle's egg. Both options are right and possible. But each choice and path that you go down, you learn something new. So today, I'm going to take you on your choose-your-own-adventure story and hope that by making some different choices that you might not have done before, you will learn something new. And just to say that both choices might be right, but, um, and I'm not saying that one thing's right or wrong, but that you may learn something new if you take a different choice or a different approach. So, and also for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, I hope the metaphor will carry through. <laughs> It'll make sense. So we'll start in John 4, and I haven't put it up on the screen because there's quite a lot um, of scripture. So if you have your phones, I'm going to fully uh, like accept that you're all going to be looking at them so that you can look at John 4. So I'll start with verse 4 and I'll read it to you. <clears throat> now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So the context here is Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee. He's going back to Galilee. And traditionally, Jews would sidestep traveling through Samaria by crossing the River Jordan and going up the east side as a map. So they would go on the red dotted line. But what Jesus did was go directly through Samaria um, which saved him some time. So the, it might be more dangerous, but um, it takes just three days, whereas traveling around Samaria takes double the amount of time. And I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that Jews didn't really like Samaritans from the good parable of the Good Samaritan. There had been a feud going on since about 720 BC when Israel fell to the Assyrians and the people of Israel were led off as captives. Some people were, stayed behind and at that time, they, 
intermarried with other foreigners that were in that land, which meant that they became unclean to the Jews. And so they were half Gentiles. And these people were the Samaritans. And they went on to cause more disruption by trying to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the walls of the temple, by harboring Jewish criminals, building their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and also acknowledging only the first five books of Moses and rejecting all the prophets. So Samaritans were unclean and they were treated like Gentiles or worse. You would not associate with them if you were a respectful Jew. Never mind drink or eat something that they had touched because it was unclean. Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women. In fact, rabbis were expected not to speak to women at all in public, to the point in which a rabbi may not speak to his wife or his daughter in a public setting. And then we're at a well. <clears throat> and we see later on in this passage that the disciples are shocked when they return and see that Jesus is speaking to this Samaritan woman. Wells in Palestine, or first century Palestine, were places where business happens. It's where women would go and do their talking and catching up, but usually in the early morning or the evening. It was unusual for a woman to be there at noon, and that's why it's pointed out in the passage. She may have wanted to avoid the crowd. It was likely she either felt uncomfortable with them or she wasn't welcome. Wells are also a place where women meet their future husbands, as recounted a number of times in the Old Testament. And Clark's commentary states, the Jews say that those who wished to get wives went to wells where young women were accustomed to come and draw water. And it is supposed that women of ill fame frequented such places also. So here comes our first choice on our adventure story. Was she trying to avoid people because of how the community treated her? Or was Bettina after a man, a woman of ill fame? Whatever choice you make at this point informs the rest of the context of this conversation with Jesus. Because of her presence at the time of day, and when we read later about her husbands, many theologians and preachers in the past have described Fatina as a prostitute. But there is little evidence to suggest that this is the case, and I think it speaks more to our bias and attitudes towards lone women who dare to have a conversation with Jesus. So, that's our choice. Let's see what choices face us next. So, moving on to verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us a well and drank from it himself, and did his, also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. So in ordinary Aramaic, living water would mean running water. So literally like from a spring or a stream or a tap, but they didn't have taps back then, they had wells. 
And Jacob's well is 30 meters deep. And 30 meters is the length of this room, because I checked. Um, and so that's very deep, which means that that well was um, basically hitting the water table. So the water was coming up from the ground. It was not running water from a spring or a stream. So when Jesus talks about this, she thinks that he's, when she says the well is deep, she's referring to that. She's like, this isn't running water here. This isn't living water. So um, why are you questioning or why are you saying that you can get as living water? You know, Jacob, if Jacob was able to dig this well and find it and his sons were to drink from it and his livestock, why do you think you're better than Jacob that you're going to be able to find a stream around here, basically? She perceives him as almost blasphemous by saying this. But what Jesus is referring to is another meaning of living water, which is mentioned in lots of Old Testament passages and means water that will quench the thirst of the soul. Psalm 42 speaks of my soul being thirsty for the living God. But this is spiritual language. And as often happens when Jesus speaks to people, they don't first understand his meaning because they quite take him quite literally. So when she says, sir, give me this living water so I won't have to go thirsty again, so I don't have to keep revisiting this well, she doesn't actually truly understand what she's asking for. Um, and that's why she says, so I don't have to keep revisiting this well. She's still thinking about actual water. And at this point, it's worth considering how her question is phrased. So many commentaries will explain that in this conversation, she's challenging Jesus. Who are you to say that you're greater than Jacob? And if you can get this water, go on, give it to me. Come on, give me the living water. So she's saying it in jest or sarcastically. But others consider that she's actually shocked and intrigued and does want this living water. It sounds good. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. So at this point, we come to choice two. Is she responding to him in jest? Is she just being sarcastic and challenging him? Or is she eagerly after water, even if she doesn't understand what it means? Now, depending on this choice impacts how we see Jesus' next request, which is to go and get your husband. If she's responding in jest, if she's being sarcastic then him saying, go and get your husband, he's choosing to ask this question to expose her sin. In a bit of a tit-for-tat conversation, to bring her back to reality, she's joking and he's like, I'm serious. Or if she's genuinely interested in this water, then he would be asking, as was custom, for her to bring her husband so that he can partake in this gift with her. Again, the way we and others interpret this conversation changes our perspective on how Jesus is operating with an unclean woman. And it's your choice as to which choice you choose to find, understand the context of the conversation. So next, <clears throat> in verse 17, we're coming up to our last choice. I have no husband, she replies. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So backtrack, five husbands seems like quite a lot. And in fact, she's not even living with her husband now. It leads many to describe her as an adulteress. The reality is, it's very difficult for women at that time to instigate a divorce. It would have been the husband that would have to divorce her, and she had no choice in the matter. She could have been divorced just for burning the dinner on the stove. And if she committed adultery in those marriages, she would have been stoned. So she would be dead by now. So at this point, if she'd been divorced by a man five times, it's unlikely anyone would take her. So as a woman without a man in the patriarchal society at the time, she was nothing. She was forced to be someone's concubine. And the passage doesn't even mention divorce. Her husbands could have died. As custom, if one husband died, his brother was expected to take his childless wife, and if he died, the next one would do so. She was possibly now waiting for the youngest brother to come of age before she could marry. he could marry her. This is described in Mark 12, when the Pharisees go to Jesus and challenge him, and they say, Moses wrote for, her, wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring from his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children, and last of all, the woman died too. So they were challenging him about resurrection in that passage. But it illustrates an example of, at the time, that was the culture. So our choice, number three in our adventure story, what path will we go on next? And this time you've got four more options. So is she divorced five times and living in sin by not marrying her current man? Could she have experienced significant pain and rejection by five different men? Could she be a widow and being passed around the family? Or does it really matter anyway? Because we're all sinners and we've all fallen short. The biblical scholar James McGrath says this, it must be pointed out that neither divorce, remarriage or concubinage were considered immoral in this time period. So the widespread slandering of the Samaritan woman from the story, so popular in sermons, is inappropriate. I think inappropriate is maybe kind language. So Fatina goes on to say, sir, I sense you are a prophet. He knows about her history And whatever that is, however painful it is, note Jesus does not at any point judge or rebuke her for it. Sensing he's a prophet, she goes on to ask him about where the Samaritans and Jews worship. I mentioned earlier that the Samaritans built a temple on Mount 
Gerizim, I think that's how you say it. Um, and so she's referring to that in the passage when she says, we worship here on this mountain, but Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. So she, <clears throat> there could be a number of reasons for her having this asking this question. If we've taken the first choices through this passage, then our assumption would be that now she's been exposed for her sin. She's asking, where can she make a sacrifice to atone for her sins? So should I go to the, the mountain or should I go to the temple in Jerusalem? Or is she evading the topic of conversation altogether and trying to avoid the uncomfortableness and starting a theological argument with somebody who seems to be a teacher or a prophet? Or is she seeing him as a prophet and just interested as to his take because he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan? Either way, Jesus tells her some pretty amazing information and mind-blowing information. There will be a time when you worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not about mountains and temples. It's about spirit and truth. And then Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah to her. This is the first opportunity in the Gospel of John that Jesus does this. And he chooses to do it to a Samaritan woman who gave him a drink. Who then goes and tells her community. And in addition to this, we see, um, and I won't read through the passage because there's a bit there, but we see the conversation Jesus is enlivened. And he tells the disciples who have returned, shocked that she's speaking to this woman with food. And he says he doesn't need food. His food is to do the will of him who sent him and tell people like Fatina the news. So our final choice in our adventure story is what's the summary of this story? Is this story about a woman who was seeking a man who got into a cynical, sarcastic conversation with Jesus, who was confronted by her sin and as a result of that believed in Jesus? That could be entirely the case. But it could also be as well a conversation with a woman that Jesus accepted, who'd faced real problems, grief and rejection. A story of love and acceptance, a story where one woman, a social outcast, was able to share her faith with so many. A woman who was then named Luminous, and the number of people she shared the news with to be equal to that of the apostles. So I hope you learned something from our adventure story. I'd encourage you to watch Bear Grylls if you like this kind of um, narrative. But I just wanted us to consider that maybe this story is, it is about her sin and our thirst for God. But it's also maybe about how she shared the good news and how she was receptive and open to Jesus. She asked him questions to uncover something so special that she was the first person that he revealed that he was the Messiah to. And as we think about it, we have choices in how we think and the attitudes and assumptions we make. We live our own adventure story every day, even when it comes to our reading of the Bible. So I want to challenge you, will you make choices to think on an adventure which follows Jesus's attitude to women, to trust them with amazing news and let them share it, to 
be willing to share a drink with a woman who is perceived as unclean. To be able to have a conversation and to listen and to suggest things to her. This attitude isn't always the attitudes that the church, the big church, I'm not saying our church today, have historically held. And so sometimes it's a challenge for us to think about what choices we make. And we've talked a lot about the culture we live in, which forms those. So as you move forward and as we come to almost the, the end of this series, but we'll continue to talk about this, these issues as a church, I want to encourage you to think about what adventure you're going to take yourself on and others around you. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you will teach us to hold the same attitudes to women as your son, Jesus. May we worship you in spirit and truth. I pray for all those who are thirsty today that you will quench our thirst. For those who feel rejected and outcast in whatever way, that you will welcome and accept them. For those who are weary and tired, that they will find rest in you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.